This is TV Podcast Industries, and we're talking about The Boys, Season 1, Episode 2, Ch-Ch-Cherry. Say what you mean to say. Your brand is hope, baseball, America, sunshine. You don't do vengeance. Welcome back to TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about The Boys, Season 1, Episode 2, Cherry. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hi there, boys and girls. I'm one of your other hosts, John. Bonjour, monsieur, madames. This is I, Christophe. <laughs> nice. Well done, Chris. Thank you. Thank That's, you got it. one French word in there as well. Yeah. <laughs> and just a stereotypically bad accent. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, welcome back, everybody. The Boys has been out on Amazon Prime for just over a weekend. And I think everybody's watched it except for us. We haven't watched Madly Ahead. We've just watched these uh, these couple of episodes, getting ourselves all prepared to talk about The Boys. But one massive bit of news that came out just after we recorded our first podcast about the first episode of The Boys Season two is confirmed. It's coming. <laughs> it will be back. It was announced on at San Diego Comic-Con the week before the show came out that they loved the show so much over at Amazon. They're coming back for season two. That's pretty darn good, right? That's very good that your, your backer goes, well, we like it so much that we're giving you a season two. Mm-hmm. Don't care what anyone else thinks. Exactly. But it is great. So yeah. that's the great thing. Yeah, it was amazing to hear that the... the Obviously, the internal receptions, the, I know that some of these shows do go through internal reviews of basically test audiences and that you assume that the test audience reviews were so good. They're like, yep, yeah, okay, we're done. We're in the bag for season two to lock down these actors before potentially they went off and did anything else. Well, exactly, yeah. And there's there's about 80 comic books, I think, in the series uh, overall for the boys. So there's lots of material that they can go through. Um, one of the things that I didn't note last week, the actual episode here is called Cherry, and it's named after issues three to six, the arc between issues three to six and the boys. So these are taking a pretty slow approach to the comic books. You know, if they go along this kind of level of just some of the earlier books, they've got loads and loads of series to come. Oh, yeah. I, I fully expect <laughs> that season one will probably just do kind of volume one of the trade paperback and maybe into slightly volume two. Yeah. So we've got a lot of areas to go down. Exactly, exactly. But hopefully you're going to stick with us for all of our coverage of The Boys. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast at tvpodcastindustries.com. We have got The Boys available now over on Spotify on its own solo little feed. So if you want to just listen to our boys coverage, pop on over there. But if you want to hear everything else, subscribe to tvpodcastindustries.com and start sending in your feedback now for all of the episodes to come. You can email us at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Yeah, or you can leave a voicemail, just head on over to the website and leave up to 90 seconds of your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yes, but gentlemen, I think it's about time we get into some hyper-violent, hyper-interesting, hyper-fun discussions of this episode. So, with that in mind, Derek, do you want to give us some episode details? I'm pretty hyper. <laughs> uh, this episode, once again, was written by the showrunner Eric Kripke. Uh, as we mentioned, he wrote uh, episode one and, and came to us with the wonderful Supernatural for about seven seasons of the show as well. Uh, the episode was directed by Matt Shackman. Uh, he's director of loads of comedies and some massive TV dramas. He's directed two episodes of Game of Thrones in season seven and two episodes of the awesome 
Fargo with from Noah Hawley, the great showrunner over there as well. Uh, and he's done over 40 episodes of the comedy TV show Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So kind of balancing that dark comedy and drama together is pretty mm. much right in his wheelhouse, yeah? Yeah, but with Always Sunny, you can start to see that kind of dark, dark humor. You're right. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I think it's the kind of person that you need for a show like this. Someone that's done some massive drama shows and uh, a bit of a bit of comedy as well. So excellent. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Billy Butcher and Huey Campbell back themselves a superhero, and Butcher knows just the man to help dispatch Translucent. However, as they make contact with Frenchie, he is less than happy to see both Butcher and a soup. At Vought International, Homelander gets naughty with his X-ray vision, and Madeline Stilwell goes one better as she uses doppelganger, a blindfold, and a camera to entrap and bribe the chair of the Congressional Defense Committee in order to get the seven on the Defense Department's payroll. Meanwhile, Starlight is forced to team up with the Deep to fight crime, and she also begins to dabble in some extracurricular crime fighting that lands her in trouble with Vought PR. Back at Frenchie's lair, killing Translucent proves difficult because of his diamond skin and his absence from Vought International has raised the suspicions of Homelander. While Homelander searches for Translucent, Butcher and Frenchie race to find a way to kill him. As Butcher is denied access to the CIA's Mallory files, Frenchie has an epiphany that involves C4 and a tight-end orifice. But Homelander arrives to investigate Frenchie's van, and as they cause an explosion to distract Homelander, another explosion rips through Translucent's colon. As Huey detonates the C4, he most certainly does not keep his hands, arms, face, legs, and torso clean, as he is covered by the bloody remnants of the formerly Translucent Man. <laughs> Excellent, synopsis, John. Excellent. <laughs> Well done. Yes, this is uh, how you kill the soup, I guess. Yeah. Is C4, does the C then stand for colon for? Possibly, yes. <laughs> it's like colon X. cubed, but double. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get on to our major points for the episode. If you weren't with us for the first episode, we have changed things up slightly on TV podcast industry for this show, for the boys. We're doing our three moments, our big moments that stood out to us. Our first moment is the boys moment, our protagonists. Chris, do you want to tell us what your protagonist moment is for the episode? Oui, oui. Um, <laughs> actually, it, it's a very simple one for me. Um, Frenchie does science. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the character of Frenchie. And later on in Chris's Corner, the, the podcast within a podcast, we're going to discuss um, who Frenchie is and how he differs in the comics of the TV show. But for me, this introduction to Frenchie, um, his overall manner, his the 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 accent the just everything about him but more importantly within one episode within 59 minutes they give you everything you need to know very clearly about this character Mm -hmm. they show you okay so they give you a bit of background on who he was they give you the understanding that no this is a man of science he knows how to potentially kill soups um, and the, the, I'm straight away drawn to the great montage we get where he's building the bullet made out of yes. the same carbon as translucent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a really interesting, like, let's do science kind yeah. of moment, yeah. but with that kind of bald heads, kind of steampunk look with the goggles, Mad Max mm-hmm. styled and a cigarette hanging from his lip. It's yeah. just so, it's just so the boys for me. It's exactly who I always, how you envisioned 
kind of uh, the Frenchie to look and act and talk. And yeah, it's just embodiment is perfect. Excellent. Yeah, I, I absolutely love the little gag in that scene. Basically, he drops an acid, puts the headphones on his head, makes the bullet in about three and a half seconds, and then the music goes off. It's just really quick. Yeah. It's like, this guy was made to do this kind of stuff. He's made to kill soups. Yeah, right. Frenchie was great. I mean, I really like this guy. Um I have to say now, I can't say Man of Science was the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> but um certainly, I get I definitely get what you're saying. I was thinking more, um, you know, killer, assassin, engineer and drug taker extraordinary uh, yes yes <laughs> mr t of the group perhaps apart from the drug taking but the mr t of the well group. well he, he offers <laughs> huey mdma and uh, lsd mm-hmm. which i would say would send huey into a complete tailspin <laughs> um given he's slightly hyped anyway but uh yeah no i i i agree uh chris i i thought friendship was fab here yeah. um i have to say yeah, so the actor who is who plays Frenchie is uh Tomer Capon. Um he's Israeli. Um right. and so I when I heard that about him, I was like, oh no, his accent it's like an Irishman trying to play an American kind mm-hmm. of sometimes it just doesn't work, or vice versa. Yeah. Um I was like, Oh, it's gonna be a bit too on the nose. But no, it's just really enjoyable, a really, really enjoyable portrayal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, I think that's all generally what matters. You're absolutely right. You know, the idea here that we've got Billy Butcher, who could be from any English speaking country in the world, but he's kind of a Brit in the comic books. He is absolutely a guy that's from the UK. That's where he's from. There's no, there's no getting around it. He is an English man. Whereas here we do have an oscillating uh, accent coming from him. So I think Frenchies isn't bad at all in comparison side by side. They're just people of the world that have traveled a lot, basically. Yeah. I, I think as well, the great thing is that Frenchie kind of seems to have the same reaction to Billy Butcher uh, as seemingly everyone that encounters Billy Butcher does. Mm-hmm. Uh, like with the CIA lady, what's it, the head of operations, she's kind of like, oh, Billy. It's, so I'm expecting that every one of the boys uh, moving forward is going to just be in in the same kind of vein it's like oh no i was hoping not to see you again and he calls him mr charcuter mm-hmm. obviously uh being butcher in french so uh that that's pretty nice but he owes him 40 grand as well so uh, i don't know where that's coming from uh but i i do i think frenchy um he's he's a pretty good guy i, I like the fact that yeah as you say he's the mr t of, of this group yes yeah. yes i'm sure he's going to be turning that van into something really useful in the future <laughs> i think we do get an idea where that death comes from though because at the end of the episode where they blow frenchy's flat to to um to take the attention of homelander away he says to him put that on my tab you know how expensive this thing is put it on my tab so it's possible that that's exactly the same situation that happened at the request of billy butcher in a previous mission that they had so i kind of get that feeling uh, can we just quickly talk about sherry before we move on as well uh, i really liked this character we're hopefully going to see more of her the girlfriend of, of frenchy and um, there's a really interesting moment I, I don't know why it just it struck me when huey and, and billy butcher arrive at the door and she rubs her hand down huey's face there's this really weird moment as if she's just read his mind and knows everything about him before letting him in. It's just this moment where you're going, is she a superpowered person that can read minds? Is that what that little moment between the two of them was? Because she just has this little dirty smile on her face as she walks away. I don't know why, but I really enjoyed it. Nice to see these kind of little characters in there as well. Yeah, no, exactly. That's what we're always going to find with this series. It's, it's kind of remember, remember Tom King's uh, The Heroes. Mm-hmm. 
Like with that show back in the day, we were always questioning, did they have powers? Are they? Because mm-hmm. they, they were the whole fun part of the boys is not everyone's a hero. Even if yeah. you have powers, you're not always going to be the Superman, the Batman, mm-hmm. the, the Wonder Woman. You're going to potentially portray that person. But yeah, if you were, uh, if you were a not so nice person with yeah. a colon, uh, potentially <laughs> before, when you gain superpowers, you're still going to be that not nice person with a colon after, and that may be your downfall, much like Translucent. Mm, yes, yes, possibly. Uh, but we did hear, obviously, in the first episode, there are hundreds of thousands of people that have powers in the world, and there's thousands of them that work for Vought Industries as well. But that not that doesn't necessarily mean that that's every single superhero in the world. As you say, Chris, they could be anywhere. So I kind of just like these little touches. We may never see anything referring to that in the future, but we might. So let's uh, have a look at Sherry the next time we see her. Uh, John, do you want to give us your boys moment for the episode yeah i it's basically you know the poster with the baby covered in spaghetti <laughs> with keep your hands clean um and it, mm-hmm. it's it's huey really because huey really doesn't keep his hands clean at all um because he detonates translucent mm-hmm. um literally from the from the bottom and uh I just thought this was really good because this is the second episode where Huey has been literally drenched in blood. Episode one from Robin's uh, bloody explosion bag mm-hmm. uh, as a train has gone through. And now he's, he's covered in the blood of translucent uh, as he explodes the C4 that has been tightly packed um, into his colon by mm-hmm. Frenchie. So uh, yeah, I thought this was uh, nice because I think Jack Quaid does a really good bit of uh acting, really. It's just, I love the fact that the camera zooms in on this poster with the baby covered in, in spaghetti, and then it, it zooms in on Jack Quaid as Huey looking at this poster. And yeah. he's kind of thinking, you can see the cogs whirring. It's like, no, you know, don't kill Translucent. Get out of this situation. <laughs> you know, literally that metaphorical sense of keep your hands clean. And I think he pull, he, he pulls that off really nicely. That kind of internal battle that he seems to be having in his mind. Uh, until Translucent Man goes translucent and he detonates it and he's covered with his, uh, well, with his guts and uh, and everything. So I really like that. But I mean, again, I think for, throughout the whole of this episode, it, it seems to be, you know, the message, keep your, your hands clean. Uh, yeah. Because Frenchie obviously is wearing gloves. Um, you have uh, the CIA operative um, certainly trying not to get involved, back involved with, with Billy Butcher mm-hmm. and these mysterious Mallory files. So it's kind of a nice little sort of thing for the episode as a whole, yeah. you know, um, even just with, with the soups, you know, you, you see Homeland, uh, doing creepy stuff, but he's doing it from a distance mm-hmm. so that people don't know that he's doing it as such, uh, you know, even Starlight and, and the, this crime fighting, it is so kind of precise because you've got this analytics. Was it um, Trevor from <laughs> uh, Crime Analytics? Yeah. That everything is, you know, trying to be above board, yet everything is 
bloody, violent, yeah. irreverent, uh, you know, and it's really nice. So right. that, that, that's my, uh, protagonist moment is, it's just Huey trying to keep his hands clean. Yeah. And it starts really early in the episode as well. It's about a minute and a half into the episode as they drive away from the, the scene with the invisible man in the back of the car, which translucent in the back of the car. And they hear him waking up and you suddenly hear Huey going, Oh, wow. I can get myself out of this. Stop the car. I'm getting out. You guys just take care of this. And, and you just get that moment <laughs> yeah. from Billy Butcher going, No, no, you're now in deep here. You're all the way in now. Can't just get out. They're going to be chasing you for the rest of your life and they're going to kill you. Um, you're right. Jack Quaid does some great, great moments in this show. In case you didn't know, because we didn't mention in episode one, Jack Quaid is the son of Randy Quaid and Meg Ryan. So, uh, you may recognize something in his face that you may not have been able to place, but he is, uh, Randy Quaid's son and Meg Ryan's son. There you go. Well, let's hope he's not in a booth like uh, in Harry Met Sally, where I'll have what she's having. Mm, um, maybe. maybe then I'll recognize him as Meg Ryan's son. Because <laughs> that could be very strange. It could be. It could be. But there is that really interesting moment, as you say, John, there's something on his face when he sees that poster for the first time of the kid covered in the tomato ketchup. And honestly, to me, it was kind of going... He was looking at that and it was reminding him of when Robin died and he was covered in her blood. <laughs> it kind of had that moment where he's looking at the kid... Yeah kind of empathetic with this poor kid covered in all of this red goo basically so i thought that was quite interesting but yeah it's it's smart that they took that through the episode and he looks at it a few times and that ends the episode looking like that so i i do like how they portray huey's kind of ptsd shock element mm. yeah from a cinematography point of view yeah. where the noise comes in and the 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 kind of its single point focuses on him where things are blurring on the edges mm-hmm. um uh, to the point where you remember where he's upstairs and he's drinking out of the Homelander glass and he starts yeah. punching the wall. So it just builds and builds and builds and builds until he punches and lashes out. Um, I just thought that was a really, it's a nice way to portray. And back in the day when we were on Defenders TV podcast and we were covering Jessica Jones, we covered kind of that PTSD kind of the, the how other shows have portrayed it and mm-hmm. jesse jones is a fantastic one as well of portrayal yeah. and this is just another kind of visual style mm-hmm. um which i really really enjoyed absolutely yeah yeah um my my protagonist moment for the episode this is the whole episode really is about this idea of translucent being in a cage it's all about what do they do here but i kind of just love these guys my favorite moment of the episode between these guys is where they're kind of standing in the room adjacent to translucent in a cage coming up with all these ideas of how they could kill him basically and you have billy butcher going well, can we suffocate him? And they're going, no, no, we've tried that before. And Billy's gone, maybe we could electrocute him. And they're saying they're using the highest possible level of electrocution right now just to knock him out for a few seconds. And then you suddenly see the realization creep over Huey where he's going, we're trying to kill him. I thought we were going to interview him and get (laughs) some answers out of him Uh, because that's what he's looking for. He's just trying to find out what A-Train did and why his girlfriend died. That's all he wants out of this situation. But he's getting this moment of, "Uh uh-oh, that's what Frenchie's here for. He's not here to interrogate and get the information out of him. He's here to kill him. Um, And then they come up with this moment of realization of what could possibly do it's like when they're watching the tv and see the uh see the tortoise on screen and realize this is just a shell outside of his body um the guy who plays translucent in this episode is really good as well you know you can tell the confident cocky attitude of him when the bullet misses him for the first time and it bounces around the room and he he taunts them all he's kind of going i'm invincible and when i get out of here which i will the seven are coming for you and taking you out 
And then we have that moment of realization from him when he finds out that a bit of C4 has been stuck up his bum. Uh, and if he, <laughs> if he sticks a finger up there to get it out, as described by Butcher, it will explode. <laughs> or if somebody presses a button, it will explode. Um, you know, and he starts to become the pleading man. I think this is really interesting seeing both sides of the character in the show. Probably saw all sides of him by the end of the episode, but, um, so we probably won't see him again, unfortunately. I wouldn't have thought so. All no. sides and the insides. Yeah, maybe flashbacks. Maybe some flashbacks. Yes. <laughs> flashbacks, PTSD. Just like Protect. peeling chunks off your face. <laughs> <laughs> Just bits of them. Just bits of them. Chris, do you want to take us on to our second point? The seven moment, the antagonist moment for the episode. Yes. So for me, the very top moment in this is um, Homelander and Maddie. Mm-hmm. Where we have Madeline. She She's pumping breast milk. And she's watching the TV and then Homelander knocks and comes in. And it's just this scene really encapsulates kind of Homelander and also the relationship with Madeline. Her mm-hmm. her control over this man who, in all intents and purposes, is potentially the most powerful human being or super in on the planet. Mm-hmm. But her way of controlling him is very felt in this scene. Just yeah. because she confronts him. She confronts him on the senator's death and she talks about how the deep found two uh, scorch marks on the engine from a laser from potentially very narrow field about the width of an eyes. She doesn't yeah. directly say, you killed him. She lets him admit it. Exactly. It's almost like the disappointed mother. Mm-hmm. And then... She starts talking about how, no, 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 it's not your job to do the bad things. You are God. God must remain clean. And mm-hmm. then it's just that last point where she places her hand on him, uh, on his face, and he nuzzles into it. Yeah. And you see that she's controlling him through that. It's so interesting to see that the, the, this character who is supposed to be the analog of Superman um, mm. the truth, justice, and the American way. Uh, was it baseball and apple pie? I think she says. Yes. Um, in this, he must remain clean. But what if this person wasn't clean? What if this person had all the same flaws and foibles of a normal human being who becomes jealous and just wants to save her? Um, yeah. It's just so, so interesting. I will note, again, Compound V has mentioned, which is so interesting to see, that they're keeping this kind of, they're keeping the thread through. They're not, exp- they're not going to go just explaining, well, Compound B, what, you mean this, this, and this? Yeah, they're, they're just, they're leading you on through this scene. Absolutely. And we know it's something massively important because... Homelander came down off his pedestal to kill this mayor just at the mere mention of the word. So, and the att- attempt to bribe Maddie for that. One little thing that really adds to the scene, I think, is the scene later on in the episode where you find out about Homelander's X-ray vision, where you realize that he was looking into Maddie's office through the wall while she was pumping breast milk and chose that moment to walk in. He could have waited five more seconds, but he chose that moment to walk in. It gives that extra creepy vibe to Homelander. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I, I like the fact, you know, she's there as well saying, you know, everything about Voight. Um, you know, he's not only the highest grocer for income and revenue and all this kind of stuff, but you wonder, you know, He's freaked out that 
this mayor of Baltimore knew about compound V, you know, and, and his mind is whirring, um, and whirring going like, do, who else does, you know, we have to protect this. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really good. Um, yeah, I mean, I have to say that this kind of links with, with my uh, point here mm-hmm. for the seven. I, I, it, it's more general, I suppose, but, um, I think Anthony Starr, who's playing Homelander, is fantastic. I, I thought that whole scene on the couch in her office was great uh, yep. between the two. It felt uneasy um, and really tense and heightened between the two of them. You know, sexually from Homelander to, to Madeline, but, but also it was like, I just don't quite know how... Um, Homelander's gonna go, you know, how, which side of the fence he's gonna sort of fall? Is it violent or is it fine? And I think that really kind of comes out with his, his interactions in general, because I think with Madeline, it was kind of really quite creepy, really awesomely creepy. But then you have that moment with the, the deep as well, where you really get a sense of his menace. It's really, really good. I think he does some quite nice side quips as well. So he does, you know, he's, he's pretty derogatory to the deep. Um, you know, go f- Shamu in the blowhole once he's finished with his threat mm. and he's realized he's, he's got the upper hand again. You, you can sense that the deep is trying to undermine him, you know, with Madeline. Uh, but Homelander, I suppose, does see himself as the chair of this seven, but I, I really, absolutely loved how smarmy menacing and, and sort of slightly unhinged and creepy anthony Starr portrays this character i think that even links in with the voight uh sort of employee who's in the, in the crime lab sort of trying to find translucent yeah. and she's like well no i can't give you this information and he's just really menacing he's not going to do anything but you kind of think he can do um, and Absolutely. even with Frenchie then, you know, if that's just an ordinary member of the public, you know, you've seen him smiling, taking the photos, being really sort of that Superman. But this is a little bit more, um, sort of aggressive, really. Uh, and I, I, I think he's playing it really nicely. I must yeah. say, um, I thought this was the one member of the seven I was going to go, Oh, I'm not going to like this because it's, based around superman (laughs) to be honest yes i'm i like superman but i don't really i don't follow him at all in the comics and i just thought oh no but i think because he is exactly the opposite of superman i find him most intriguing Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, definitely yeah i mean for me it's a massive uh thumbs up for for Homelander. Yeah, definitely. I, I have to say he does use that line, which is one of the most terrifying lines that anybody who works for the government can use, which is, well, if you have nothing to hide, then why not just show me? It may just be that I don't want to show you the inside of the back of my van when he's speaking to Frenchie ev- effectively. You know, maybe it's maybe it's that I don't want you seeing everything about my life just because I live in this country. You know, that's the kind of attitude that's that should be coming across from everybody who has that question get a warrant or you can't see inside my house or my car. That's that's basically the deal. That's why we all have this. But Homelander has the ultimate trump card for that, which is basically he just opens his eyes and sees inside wherever he wants to anyway. He doesn't need any kind of approval from any kind of law enforcement. And if he wants to do whatever he wants to do, he can basically do it because he's powerful enough to do it. So there there are very scary sides already coming out about Homelander. So yeah, I, def- I like it. Definitely. Like it. I think as well, I, I love the idea that it's thrown back to him 
from Madeline, actually, mm-hmm. um, in that moment, Chris, where she goes, no, I'm going to protect you because he's talking about protecting her. Yeah. Um, and, and you just wonder why. And you, I'm just wondering, okay, is she pregnant with his kid or something or, or what is it? Or he's just like sort of a surrogate father. He's, he wants to protect her, uh, from that sense. But I love the way she comes back. I'm going to protect you. And of course, it's not about violence and protecting him physically, but you know, uh, like with our opening line, it's that, you know, gods are pure and they need to stay that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and he unfortunately doesn't always do that. You know, it is almost, he is the fallen god. Um, and is he becoming closer to the devil? Well, yeah, yeah. He's, he's certainly the, the hidden falling god, yeah. isn't he? So it's all being hidden behind this company. Definitely. Yeah. To reference my uh, poor Bible quote there. <laughs> my inaccurate Bible quote, I should say. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so my antagonist moment for the episode, I think that's your your one done, really. And, and Chris, I think that's your one. Yep. Um, my one for the episode is just about Vought themselves. And it kind of ties in a little bit with how Maddie is dealing with Homelander. But it makes me ask a really big question so far. We're two episodes into the series. And it makes me feel that we have a Vought Industries here that seems to be creating the story, seems to be creating how they want the public to perceive all of these heroes. We know that about the Seven, that they're not beyond reproach, but we kind of hear over and over again throughout loads of the interactions in the episode that they're framing everything. You talked about Trevor from the research division, John. Yeah, um, the crime analytics. Exactly. Yeah. The guy that basically comes in and says that they've analyzed everything. This is the crime that they need to go investigate tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I don't think this is a minority report type of area. It feels to me like this is just a great opportunity to get the cameras out, get the toys on screen, because that's what these bad guys are transporting the drugs in is the toys of Homelander. So it feels like <laughs> the whole thing is a setup to show the public exactly how these superheroes interact, almost like a live action movie. I'm wondering, do they create the crimes as well? That's what it feels like. We have a lot of these moments throughout the episode that kind of stood out, really. Like that moment where we have the um, starlight after taking out the bad guys, you have the PR agent coming over to her and going, right, stand there and say, this is lit over the top of <laughs> the bad guys. And you look at the starlight's face going, hang on a second, I now have a catchphrase that I have to use at the end of the fight, you know? Uh, they're in position 10, 15 minutes before anybody arrives. The cameras are there taking photographs of everything that's going on, you know? This is to be broadcast on the evening news and perfectly staged by PR department, you know? Um, it just feels like there's something way more sinister than just selling toys and just selling the idea of the seven. It also feels like they're not stopping any crimes at all. They're going out and taking care of crimes that promote the business effectively. Yeah, because she talks about the call sheet. Yes. Uh, a call sheet for people not in the movie industry or t- television industry is essentially, uh, it's uh, almost like a project plan for a scene of filming or day of filming. So mm-hmm. you essentially talk like it lists out the directors, lists uh, lists out the actors, it lists out where the cameras will be and what scenes are being filmed. That is exactly what, like as you said, it's just, it seems feels staged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and it's just a very interesting kind of way that it comes about. Yeah, and there's a lot of staged moments in in the episode as well. You know, we know as well that Deep has found out that Homelander is the one that killed the mayor in Baltimore, but they've admitted those details going public. They've said it was a plane crash, and they're not going to release those details because it could cause damage to the brand of Homelander. Um, We also have this big moment, really, where 
uh, they use the doppelganger to take down the senator to get him on side. That's another setup as well. They now have information on the senator and photographs <laughs> on the senator to use. So, uh, so yeah, it feels like they're in control of all facets just by using marketing and a lot of cameras. Yeah, I have to say the senator was classic, putting the shape shift of the doppelganger. Uh, <laughs> and I have to say, when the story was being retold to him by Madeline and mm-hmm. he was like, you know, trying to defend himself. And then Madeline turned into, uh, that, that same bloke who had been riding, uh, the senator. It was like, is Madeline a shape shifter? I was like, <laughs> oh my goodness, what a revelation. And then she walks in she and goes, right, doppelganger, right. out you go. Right. So I thought that was a nice little moment actually for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the senator stuff was pretty, uh, interesting. And I'm sure that that's quite close to the truth in terms of uh, sort of trying to leverage uh, politicians and so on. Yeah, yeah, no, certainly. I think uh, anybody who's watched uh, any of House of Cards, that's basically the first three seasons is uh, doing things like that to leverage against every senator that you can get to use a vote. And also just coming back to, you know, whether Voight create the crimes too, I think just their reaction of Voight to Starlight going out and doing a genuine... Uh, prevention of crime with the two guys and the girl where they're trying to rape her. Um, And then it's all about litigation and so on that there's none of that here with the drug runners, even though effectively, what, uh, the deep chucks one of the guys miles away. So, I mean, he must be dead. Um, You know, it seems like it's pretty full on physical and dangerous. So, um, but all of a sudden um, actually combating a real crime. Yeah is an issue for the PR machine at Vought. So mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, you're probably right that they do create these crimes as well. Yeah. I do love it, though. This is this is one of the questions that they've had. You know, they've dealt with it in the Marvel Universe with Civil War, where they talked about this idea of the accountability of a superhero for creating damage or or hurting people. You know, we talked about it back with Jessica Jones, this idea of a hero. How do they decide what a crime is to stop it? How do they decide when a crime has happened? At what point do you step in? Do you wait until the crime is finished or do you step in and use your superpowers to beat up someone that doesn't have superpowers and stop them? You know, um, who gives you the right to do that? And it's translated into this show with the idea of a PR woman who's going, yeah, but what happens if that wasn't, if what you thought was happening wasn't what happening? And then we get sued for millions because we're a big organization. You know, it's, it's a really interesting take on it here. Completely. That's it for the antagonist moments for the episode. Chris, do you have any other moments in the episode that are that stood out to you? Uh, so we already just quickly touched on Starlight and the deep teaming up and, and the crime itinerary call sheet, whatever we want hmm. to call it. But the actual scene just before that, where we have Starlight starting to stand up to the deep and call oh, him yes. out on it, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's just an amazingly strong performance here from Erin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really enjoyed her. We, we, we saw her originally back at Jessica Jones season one mm-hmm. and seeing her uh, playing this character, Starlight, playing, um, Annie. Um, it's nice to see the slow transformation of this character from yeah. the Nebraska kind of small town Midwest girl, um, who was wearing the costume created by her mom and it's been brought up to the big leagues to this character who's now standing up to the person she had a crush on because he's an absolute a-hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just interesting to see that. Uh, and yeah. I, I, I enjoyed the scene. I enjoyed, especially because it's ended with that, that crime itinerary kind of scene where yeah. the, the, the shininess of that is the seven, the, the, the spectacle, her, her 
understanding of what it meant to be one of the best of the best superheroes is mm-hmm. slowly being not even torn, shattered. Absolutely. There's really nothing left of what she dreamed was going to be the situation when she joined them. Effectively, it's money and fame is all that's left now. Everything behind it is made up by the PR team and the marketing team. Um, I do love the put down from her. You know, it's this impression that the deep gave. She arrived on her first day and he he treated her so badly and said to her that he could get her fired and she flipped the whole thing on him it was as if he was doing that thinking he'd never see her again that she'd just run off back to her mommy kind of thing but she turns it back on him immediately and goes i've asked her end you're not number two you're just a fish guy and everybody knows it everybody knows what a loser you are and now i do too and i know it more than everybody else i think that's a really great moment from starlight just kind of reclaiming that confidence that she came to them with you know and she also calls him the grouper as well which is really good (laughs) what are you gonna do throw a grouper at me yeah yeah (laughs) yeah he doesn't have a good episode this time and i'm delighted as i said last episode i think i love the actor (laughs) and the actor's really good but i really don't want to see this guy getting anything other than getting kicked while he's down from now he does have a great moment in fact a couple of them though where um he goes oh we're down at the docks trouble at the docks oh i'm always being asked for aquatic for aquatic crime fighting trouble at the river trouble at the lake trouble at the canal trouble at the jetty i can do more so much more really good and even to his pr guy that dive was cherry and i thought that was really really good just that again this idea of everything being slightly fake Mm -hmm. (laughs) to be honest absolutely did you get the dive yeah it was cherry (laughs) i love when you have the initial encounter with trevor telling um telling starlight that she's going to be working with the deep and she goes is there anybody else can you not just do it himself and trevor goes no it's a water adjacent crime (laughs) (laughs) You can tell they have these little target spreadsheets that tell them exactly, you know, the one that we're going to be doing tomorrow is going to be on a cliff. So that means it's going to have to be this guy. You know, this one's on a train. So you need to send a train because it's going to be a speeding one. It's the classic kind of um, thing about having a go at Aquaman or Namor Mm. from Marvel. You know, it just... You just speak with fish and kind of swim through the seaweed kind exactly, of thing exactly. and date mermaids. Well, Jason like Momoa did a pretty good job of updating Aquaman a little bit. But yes, this has always been the joke about that character in the past, doesn't it? So uh, really good to see it here. Um, that, that it for your uh, other moment, Chris? Yep, that's all for me on, on that kind of other outstanding moments. Uh, mm-hmm. John, what about you? Uh, for me, it was the Mallory Files. It, you know, again, this is kind of looking at Butcher's past, really. Um, and it was just kind of really interesting. You know, both him and Frenchie are trying to find a way to kill Translucent Man. So uh, I just like the the reference to the Mallory Files. I'm intrigued now. It's kind of, mm. will we get to see inside the Mallory Files? Is it just to do with how you would kill superheroes? Is that the only thing in there? Or is it something else about watching them and, and so on? And I, I like the fact that the, the the lady, the CIA head of, of ops says, you know, that they, they were buried by the director of the CIA. And it, but I, I understood it that butchered kind of uh, made it suicide for anyone in the CIA to go after uh, superheroes. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of thinking, okay, what happened there? And, you know, these Mallory files somehow are, are a part of, monitoring surveilling superheroes or vault in international yeah do they know this or now has vault bought off the cia or the threat with the the superheroes and um, hence why she says it's suicide to go after them so th- this to me is 
is is this the kind of the center of all of this um the reason why of everyone remaining butcher is the one who's so dedicated to go after the soups uh, yeah to be honest so i i hope we get to see inside the mallory files to some extent um i i kind of really do but i like the palpable dread that she has because it's like if anyone even sees that these have been opened or mm. taken or whatever, then effectively she's dead. Yeah. So, exactly. um, that, that was, you know, kind of pretty, um, full on moment, uh, in this simply just around trying to, uh, get some information on how to kill translucent. Yeah. But in the end, it was a David Attenborough, uh, nature documentary. Exactly. Yes. Turtles. <laughs> That's all that needed. All that was needed. Yeah, like it is that, that kind of crazy thing we talked about earlier on with Homelander. He's such a powerful superhero and there are other people and the entirety of Vought Industries out there stopping people going after or finding out too much about the soups. So you kind of imagine that the CIA have that problem. If they're not fighting the soups anymore and they have to work alongside them, does that mean they also have to keep their thoughts in check and their conversations in check and all of their notes in check so that the Vought don't think that they're doing it because that could have them killed in a day. But this is now the the two kind of sort of mysterious elements here are Mallory Files and Compound V. Mm-hmm. Is Compound V the thing that you control the superheroes rather than what forms them? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I'm kind of really intrigued um, as to is Compound V like the kryptonite for Homelander right. or, or, or something along those lines? Because he is based off that. So it's like, what is that one weakness? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe in the world of Garth Ennis, it's table salt or something right. like that yeah. rather than kryptonite. Or so. yeah. But do you know what I mean? Or is it this compound V? Because mm-hmm. these now seem to be the two things for, you know, non-soups that um are either, you know, what what do they tell about superheroes? Right. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to find out what all those files uh, and their involvement with the boys and with the with the seven are. I only had one outstanding moment that we haven't mentioned so far in the episode because it made me laugh so much. <laughs> I think I watched it about three times. It's how uncomfortable A-Train is in the spotlight. Um, as A-Train fills in for a poor young boy that has cancer who's asked for Translucent to come and visit him, A-Train just gets worse and worse. And I love how this is framed all as a social media post. You see the viewers going up and up and up at this really happy moment where the kid's presented with the toy of A-Train. But as the kid starts to get a bit more angry at the fact that he's been presented with this person, A-Train, instead of the one he actually wanted, the superhero that he actually wanted, you can see the angry reaction starting to fill up the screen on the side. And then A-Train tries to make it better by going, oh, but he's on a top secret mission. Maybe come back next week. The doctor's reaction tells you that unfortunately this kid doesn't have till next week, which is really sad. And then A-Train goes... I know I can't turn myself invisible, but, you know, being fast can do some great things. Maybe when you get yourself better, I can teach you to be as fast as me. And the kid goes, will you teach me to outrun cancer? (laughs) (laughs) Awful. Absolutely awful. But a perfectly toned moment to tell you how bad A-Train is. And it cuts back to the two PR ladies back in the back in Vaude Industries. Madeline saying, look, I told you, when A-Train goes out in public, you need to script him or else you get something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that that's moment. the best. Just like, you no, know, he has to be scripted. Mm-hmm. And again, yeah. leaning back to what we are talking about earlier, everything, when any time these soups are in or the seven are in public, mostly scripted. Mm-hmm. Everything they say, do, punch, throw. So if we think back to episode one and the chase with the bank robbers in the armored vehicle, the, the mm-hmm. kind of, uh, bank van, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to think, was that scripted? 
Absolutely. Yeah, I think I even mentioned at the time, and without even knowing it, I, I realized that they had built into their time after the chase to take selfies with everybody around. You know, they gave their time back to the public afterwards. You know, I think that's really cool. Yeah, no, definitely. that's it for all of our moments for the episode. Any other notes, any other things that you guys want to talk about, Chris? So for me, it really is for everyone at home. Please check out the x-ray notes in the Amazon Prime video uh, players. Mm-hmm. So when you pause it on your TV or on your smart device, um, typically there's uh, in the right hand corner or below, you'll get this thing called X-ray mm-hmm. and it basically gives you some amazing Easter eggs. It yeah. really does. It kind of zooms in and tells you things about the, the direction, the props, um, just interesting trivia. Um, so it's, for me, it's quite fun to get to know more about it. Like what we said about, um, the, the, the cherry title for this episode is the name of the short arc between issues three and six in the comic books. Mm-hmm. I, like that was kind of put out there and it's just fun. It also then lists the name of the actors. So for me, my notes are read the x-ray notes. I'm uh, not telling yeah. you to do homework and I'm not like, <laughs> I'm happy to sit here and just read them out for everyone, but I think yeah. you'll enjoy it because you can pause and watch that scene with a bit more appreciation. Absolutely. It's so much fun. We've only had uh, Amazon Prime for a while now, not for not for that many shows that we've watched on there, but it answers that question so often. You know that moment when you're sitting on the couch going, oh, I recognize that guy. What's he from? And you have to go onto IMDb and you have to search up the show and that kind of stuff. You can just push up on Amazon Prime and it gives you the list of everybody in the scene and what they've done before, what they're most notable for. I think it's such a great feature. Uh, one of the things, actually, interestingly, you mentioned that uh, armored car scene from episode one. Uh, one of the things they described on the x-rays, just to give you an impression of what it's like, that scene where Queen Maeve stands in front of the armored vehicle and it snaps around her, that was filmed by running a truck into a pole and digitally removing the pole and then just adding her in a green screen moment. So they actually crashed a truck at high speed into a pole to get that damage. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I love that kind cool. of making of stuff. You know? God bless that's- Jeff Bezos money. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, that's proper Christopher Nolan doing it for real. Yeah, because mm-hmm. yeah, they could have done it all CGI. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 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 Really cool stuff. Yeah, definitely check the x-ray stuff out. Anything else you want to talk about, John? Well, speaking of Christopher Nolan, I think it's on to Chris's Corner. Chris's Corner. Oh, yeah. This is the podcast within a podcast where I'm going to give you some nerdy notes, specifically about how the comics to the screen moments happened. Um, one of the things I want to talk about, I'm going to talk about two things here. I'm going to talk about Deputy Director Rayner. And I'm going to talk about the Frenchman or Frenchie in the TV show. So mm-hmm. first on, Deputy Director Rayner. Um, it's interesting to see, and I, 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 I'm going to bring her in now because in the comic books, she's there from the first issue. Um, mm-hmm. so it's interesting they're only introducing her now. Um, she's a pivotal character, especially what we talked about, the Mallory Files. She is the, the, the owner of that. And mm-hmm. in, um, the comic books, Rainer is Billy's contact. She's a director of uh, the CIA um, and on paper, his boss. Um, so right. in the show so far, it's been alluded to that he may have government backing. He may not. He's like, I was an FBI. He talked about in episode one about being FBI, CIA, police. Yeah. Um, in We're not sure how that that relationship or what affiliation he has so far in the TV show. But in the comic yeah. books, he is, he is contracted by the CIA. Um, yeah. and it's very interesting in the scene, 
they they imply not too subtly that the two have had a sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Even though she's married, and I think we get a picture of a kid in that as well. Yeah, we have Andrew, Andrew and the kids uh, wouldn't be very happy to have me here with this kind of the line. Exactly. Yeah. Um, in the comic books, uh, it's not it's not implied; it's shown in the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the panels are getting quite interesting, and yeah, it's it's very funny. So I I don't know where they'll go with this, um, but Rainer plays a significant part. Uh, throughout the first kind of volume and the entirety of the second volume. Um, so really just see uh, very pivotal. So I want to see what they do with her. The, I, I think they may play some trickery and not use her too much in this, but it'd be interesting <laughs> to see. Yeah, no, definitely interesting. I think in the show, uh, Billy Butcher describes himself as being in enforcement, which you can easily take with the simple meaning that he does work for police officers or FBI or CIA or something like that. Yeah. Or he just enforces his will on other people, which he seems to do quite a lot with his fists and with, uh, with violence. You know, I'm just, I'm in enforcement means, you know, I could be just punching people. He's freelance. He's yeah. kind of part of non-official CIA exactly. uh, yeah. activities. Yeah. But he seems to have a history anyway with, with director Rainer yeah. as well. So, uh, so we'll see how that plays out the show. Yeah. So now let's talk about my favorite Frenchman, um, the Frenchman, uh, mm-hmm. or as they're calling it in the TV show, Frenchie. Um, so in the comic books, he's called the Frenchman, specifically mostly called the Frenchman. Uh, mm-hmm. the one or two kind of, um, uh, speech bubble, they call him Frenchie and shorten it down, but, um, it's usually the Frenchman when he, they're referring to him. He's pretty spot on. In this, like the, the, the representation of the character in the show. Um, mm-hmm. as we've already talked about, when he talks about, uh, Billy, he goes, Monsieur Charduter, which is the butcher bit. He, that comes directly from the comic books. Yeah. Um, and it's frequent. Like it becomes the running gag for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. But the fun part as well is he calls Huey Petite Huey. Um, uh, because we talked about in episode one, Wee Huey is his nickname in the comic yeah, books. Yeah. Uh, so again, it's just, it's nice to see that they're doing this. Um, I already talked about Tomer, but the, the look is very similar. Um, yeah, so Tomer, yeah. the actor actually looks like the, the character, the way he's drawn back in the day, um, uh, from issue, mm-hmm. like what issue two. Um, so the goggles, the, the bald head. The, mm-hmm. the, the jacket, it's all the same. Um, so I'm really enjoying that. have to say, yeah, yeah the performance is, is excellent in the show. That scene where he's talking to Huey about that one woman that he saw for a few seconds and realized he was in love with her only after seeing her for maybe four or five seconds and then realized her life could be so different because she looks amazing, she's dressed up beautifully, and then he sees that she has some dirt and grit under her hands. So what he's perceiving of her is different to what she actually is. And that's the first time he killed anybody. It's such a really fantastic performance from this actor in this scene that he has you wondering where he's going with the story until you hear that he's actually talking about murder and that he remembers every single person that he's murdered in his past. He's not in love with them. He's remembering every detail of every person he's murdered in his past. It's a really interesting uh, way of way of dealing with that question from from Huey. Yeah, but he, I like the way he puts it. He goes, I carry all the kills uh, like scars. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they change his background a good bit. 
So okay. in the the comic books, the Frenchman is ex French Foreign Legion. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially, he the reason him that's how him and Butcher had worked together. The two kind of forces had joined up the CIA and the French Foreign Legion, and that's how they made that team to begin. And he had just come back from patrol or kind of assignment with the French Foreign Legion and came back. Um, he's also a hell of a lot more crazy. Um, right. like he is, he, he's certifiable to a degree in the comic books. Mm-hmm. They seem to have kind of changed that a, a fair amount. They made him a bit more lucid, if you want to call it that. Right. But they've right. also made him a gun runner and smuggler and thing like that. Yeah. To give him a bit more yeah. access, I'm assuming. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but over that, like, they're, they're very similar in the portrayal. Um, but the one thing is Sherry is, um, it seems to be a new addition to a degree. Right. So there's that difference. Um, mm-hmm. so we'll see how that all kind of plays out. Maybe, yeah, absolutely. Maybe we will, our cherry will become a cherry pie. Um, or cherry bomb. <laughs> maybe really, really deluxury. I actually was wondering whether that was just, whether that was her name because cherry just means love in French. So I was wondering if he was just calling her my love basically rather than actually her name. So I don't know whether she is called cherry. It's not, it's not part of the episode, um, uh, much. So we'll hopefully see her back. She did escape that final explosion at the end, which was awesome. I really love the idea of, of calling up someone who's sitting at home about to sit down to watch TV and just telling her, right, you've got to burn on, you've got three minutes <laughs> yeah. to get out of your house and all of your stuff's going to be gone again for the second time in your history together. I think that's really interesting. Uh, thanks so much for that, Chris. Really good to have Chris's corner again Yay. this episode. Yeah. Um, let's get on to our final thoughts on the episode. John, overall, would you give a rating to this episode? What would your rating be? I would. Um, I, I really enjoyed this episode. Uh, I think it's really continuing with this kind of irreverence, kind of, you know, slightly um you know counter dc and marvel and i'm i'm really liking it it's mm-hmm. a nice freshness to it i would give this four and a half explosive suppositories out of five <laughs> um i i think um from from this episode i love the introduction of frenchie i can see why he's one of your favorite characters chris i i like that and again i like with Billy Butcher, just how everyone pings off him. Um, you really get the sense that he's not liked a great deal. Yeah. People will work with him. It's not that they think he's dishonorable, but they just know that he will end up um, maybe dropping them or, or maybe they just know that the outcome for them will be worse than it, it will be for him. Uh, so I really like that. Uh, translucent, what a way to go. <laughs> really funny. Um, and, and Huey's uh, involvement in that. Um, again, it just explored the deep uh, and his own kind of insecurities, which is really what you see here. Um, and, and for me, Anthony Starr as Homelander is just... I really enjoyed him in this. I thought um, the scenes between him and Madeline were great and just the menace, creepiness, unhingedness about him uh, is really well portrayed by Anthony Starr. The, the only person I, I feel I'm not understanding yet is Queen Maeve and um, Black Noir. Right. They're, they're the two, I suppose, that have had least amount of interaction from my side anyway. Yeah, Black Noir actually had some an interesting moment in this episode. He, he had the first moment meeting Starlight. She says hello to him and he doesn't 
give any response to her. And then there's that moment at the end of the episode, in that big gala event that Vault Industries have, where you see him in the background asking for a drink or asking for some food, and the person just walks straight by him as well. So I'm wondering, is there a lot that we're going to learn about Black Noir in the future? Yeah, so, maybe. Uh, I thought there were some um, interesting scenes there, just giving a little bit of an insight that either everybody hates him, um, or he, there's something different about him. And, and I think the trials and tribulations of Starlight, you know, just moved on a peg or two. And I, I'm liking this, this idea that she is the superhero that doesn't fit in here. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, she, she doesn't have the ego or at least not yet. And, uh, I, I, I find that fascinating, uh, how, how they're doing that. So, uh, and coupled with the intrigues of, compound v mallory files um and all of this stuff then and and you know the true kind of objective of vault industries um it's really really good so um (laughs) yep absolutely love this episode excellent chris overall what do you think of the episode yeah I, i loved it um this really is a faithful adaption I think is the best way. It's not scene for scene. They're, they're changing certain things. We've talked about some of these changes in this episode and the last, but the premise is there. I think Garth Ennis would be happy. I'd say mm-hmm. he is happy with this kind of, this take on it. Um, mm-hmm. especially for the amount of money he probably got for the rights. Um, <laughs> but beyond that, it, like Seth Rogen, like it's the same for me as Preacher. Preacher, mm-hmm. the, the adaption of the Preacher, was well done. It took what was the main essence of the comic book. It took most of the same threads and yeah. then moved them through and adapted them slightly for the, the years since the, it's come out. Yeah. And that's what they're doing here. They're making adaptions for this sense for not for a reason. It's not for no reason, just because of they course, want yeah. to or maybe to shoehorn in a, a, a big A list celebrity. It's yeah. done for a reason and I'm enjoying those reasons. Yeah, absolutely. And as we've always said, you know, a comic book is a particular medium. A TV show is a completely different medium, you know. Yeah. So uh, you have to make changes. You have to adapt uh, your product for the actual medium that you're using. So, yeah. 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 So overall, really enjoying where we are for the last so far in two hours. Interesting to see the remaining six. Mm-hmm. But that was my thoughts. What about you, Derek? How do you feel about it? <laughs> I think we've talked a lot about this episode. Really enjoyed it. Another great episode. Really good fun. Uh, some really shocking moments once again. Um, I, I love Starlight in this episode, finally getting her own back on the deep. I think we didn't really talk about it a huge amount last episode, probably because it was the most shocking moment in the episode. But having that moment where Starlight lights up her eyes and says to him, if you ever touch me again, I'm going to burn your eyes out. You know she's taken her power back now. So uh, delighted to have that in this episode. Um, delighted to have some fun moments getting the introduction of Frenchie and, yeah, the... Uh, uh, exit, I guess, of Translucent uh, in this episode as well. Um, the explosive exit. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, really good. Really looking forward to seeing lots more of this show. So another six episodes to go and a season two confirmed. So that's always awesome. Yes. On to our first Frenchies Letters section, our feedback section for the boys. First up, Derek Whitfield says on Facebook, Wow, I am so happy you guys decided to cover this show. I probably would never have bothered to check it out without you hyping it up. The show has been better than advertised thus far. Homelander, WTF. (laughs) Derek, I am so glad you're joining us for the boys. I know it's one of those shows that could have just passed under the radar. Like a lot of things that come on to all of these streaming services, there's so many shows out there, really. I'm so glad that you've joined us over from uh, Defenders TV Podcast and all the other shows that we've done and i hope you like this i really do because it's uh, it's been a lot of fun watching yeah thanks derek and definitely homelander is messed up 
in the extreme. Uh, but I have to say, I'm really enjoying the, the character. Uh, and, and the actor who plays the character, uh, just done to perfect psychotic tendencies, mm-hmm. I think. Yes, thank you, Derek. What I will say is Homelander FTW. For the win. Okay. That's how old I am. It took me a second to work out <laughs> the other way. <laughs> I'm end. down with the kids. I know the acronyms. <laughs> nice. Skip to the bop. That's why we got you, buddy. <laughs> ne- <laughs> Next up, Bob Phillips wrote, well, I would never have seen this without you. And what a show. Hilariously gore-filled, violently overturning every superhero myth and such a good take on capitalism, power, sexual harassment, and the challenge of honesty. The way the characters were drawn with slight lines and phrase was gorgeous, delightful, and I'm very much looking forward to watching. More specifically about episode two, Bob says, It's so very, very dark and disturbing. Excellent stuff. I very much enjoyed the introduction of the artist of destruction with his inventively malevolent ways, the slow uncovering of Homelander's creepy obsession, and someone who isn't being manipulated by Butcher. Well, anymore. For Chris's corner, is there a backstory to Frenchie's first kill we should know about? I've had a streaming video service moment at the end of both of these episodes, but sticking weekly at the moment. Thank you, Bob. Yes, it's good to go weekly, you know, to reignite the old Star Trek Next Generation vibe of, well, actually, that's two years later than it was originally broadcast in the US. But, oh, yeah, we used um, to do that, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, the, the era of X-Files, uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, yeah. and Dallas, I suppose, um, um, providing those weekly uh, moments for everyone. But I remember going to my first Star Trek convention in Dublin about a year after Star Trek Deep Space Nine had appeared in the US. I had to go to a convention to see the first episode of the show because there was nowhere you could see it. There was no such thing as the internet at the time to watch this stuff. Um, and I had to go to a convention full of Star Trek people to see that episode for the first time. And it still was about another five months after that before it came on air. So, uh, yes. So going weekly with us isn't as bad as that if you remember those days. But I do feel like with Dr. Bob, we've ruined his entire year of binge watching because we keep <laughs> coming up with shows that he wants to see and making him sit back and wait for us to catch up with him or, or him to catch up with us. So really sorry, Bob. Hope you've been enjoying it because it sounds like you may not have watched it without us. So we might have uh, corrupted your brain a little bit further. <laughs> Chris, do you want to answer his little question about um, about Frenchie's first yes. kill? Can we have a mini Chris's corner? Mm. Bit like a muller yogurt, yes. soft and fruity. Yes. Welcome to Petite Chris's Corner. Uh, in the vein of the Frenchman, I will be talking about Frenchie's first kill. Um, so this has come up and we are expecting it to be pretty different from the show, from what was told in the comic books. So I'm going to give a bit of a backstory here. In issue 37, and spoilers warnings, if you want to read the comic books and not know about it, skip the next three minutes of this podcast. But either otherwise, welcome. In issue 37, we do get a, a supposed origin story for Frenchie and who he is and who his first kill was. Specifically, he returned home from military service after being in the French Foreign Legion. And uh, he finds out that his fiancée and girlfriend of the time has now hooked up with his childhood rival, Pierre. Um, and because he'd just been in the French Foreign Legion, he's already, he's renounced his violent ways and he's become a pacifist. 
So things develop. It gets quite worse. And actually, Frenchie's father challenges Pierre to a jousting contest. And in this jousting contest, it is two men on two bicycles with French baguettes, <laughs> which are those long pieces of bread. And they cycle towards each other uh, and try and hit each other off. Mm. Unfortunately, Pierre cheats and throws a croissant at Frenchie's dad. Oh, God. <laughs> flipping the bike and killing him. Right. This is when Frenchie goes a bit crazy. Uh-huh. And actually kills uh Pierre. And from then on starts kind of drifting and becoming this wandering, crazy Frenchman who actually is just renounced his pacifist ways and is just looking for a good time and fighting and going a bit crazy. Right. To the point where he ends up in a bar where he fights a load of Americans and becomes uh, friends uh, and is seen in action by Billy, mm-hmm. um, the Mr. Chartres. I can't even pronounce it. Chartres? Chartres? Charcuterie. Charcuterie. Mr. Charcuterie. Uh, and basically he recruits him. So we have no idea in the comic books whether that's actually true or not. But what we do find is that is the potentially first kill and origin story of Frenchie. So I'm reading your notes here, Chris, and I see nowhere where Frenchie throws garlic at anybody at all to kill them. Because I'm not sure if this origin story is true at all, because they used every other stereotype of French people that English people could possibly have in this story. So I'm presuming that it is a delusion, right? Absolutely. There's not a <laughs> sniff of garlic snails yeah. or frogs' legs. Yeah, absolutely. This can't be true at all. Has to be. Has to be a drug-induced vision that Frenchie must have had and told people that this is how he started. <laughs> but I just love the stale croissant and jousting with French baguettes. <laughs> yeah, like death, death by stale croissant. It just in fairness, we've all one. done a sword fight, a pretend sword fight with a, a baguette in mm. France. Because I mean, you know. Baguettes are lovely, but they are like crispy, crunchy outside. So they they can certainly wield uh, lightsaber type uh, effects. I think, well, especially yes. on the gums. Yes, but don't play with your food, Harrison. There are starving people in the world. I still ate the sword. <laughs> Thanks so much for your feedback on this episode. We'll be back with more Frenchie's letters next episode. If you have any thoughts about the boys, make sure you email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or join us on our page over on Facebook at facebook.com slash tvpodcastindustries. Or you can go to our website and leave a voicemail at tvpodcastindustries.com. Yes, and don't forget to share your boys' love by sharing the podcast. Mm-hmm. We'll be back next week with our review of The Boys Season 1, Episode 3, Get Some. Oh, yeah. It just sound, it sounds good. <laughs> absolutely thanks so much for joining us talk to you again soon talk to you again soon yeah absolutely thank you for joining us boys and girls it's a pleasure speaking with you it's date night and I'm off to see Shamu at the SeaWorld but after I've washed my hands I'll be back <laughs> to speak with you again soon bye, bye. <laughs>